Wow, wasn't that powerful? Man, that's three months, guys. Three intense months. God is, if you guys saw her face when she first came, to her face now, it's completely different. And who she is is completely different. How she sees herself is completely different. What God can do is, is miraculous. And it's just a taste. It's one story of so many stories, so many testimonies of God's faithfulness, his goodness to our awesome college students. And so praise God for an amazing college ministry and for all the awesome staff that make up uh, the leadership, the student leaders. Um, speaking of the student leaders, before I start my message, I wanted to give a little bit of a shout out to them because last night we usually take some time to honor um, uh, the, the leaders and the student leaders took some time to honor us as staff. And, you know, it's just the gift that they prepared this semester really touched my heart <laughs> on so many levels that I just thought I have to share with you what they did. And so... They actually, they made a personalized shirt for all the staff members, you know? And just to make sure that they're on our hearts at all times. They decided to put their faces in a little heart that all the staff got. What do you guys think? I was going to wear it today while I preached, but I thought, you know, might be a little bit too distracting. Um, with this is a part B of the gift, which I did not bring because I wore last night. Uh, it's a pair of awesome... Ajima pants. You guys, you guys will see. They, they really know how to honor their leaders, huh? Uh, but no, we couldn't be more proud of our student leaders. They did such an incredible job. And uh, I couldn't be more proud of our students. And Adriana, what a powerful testimony. Amen? Amen. All right, so today I am so blessed. I'm so honored to kick off Women's Month, Ministry Month. You know, I actually thought that this was a real thing. Uh, until I realized it was something that God placed on my husband's heart. Uh, but I was like, yeah, it's Women's Ministry Month everywhere. <laughs> no, it's not. It's just here at our house. But, uh, you know, when I was in high school, I used to be uh, actually a, a hardcore feminist. I don't know if you guys know this about me. But when I was about a senior in high school, my last year of high school, there was a class that was offered called Women's History. And we changed it to her story. You know, so we're like women, you know, and, um, and so every day in class, uh, it was one of my requirements. I, we got to choose a different type of social studies or history class. And I chose, you know, women's her story. And so I went in and I learned about the oppression that women faced. I learned about, you know, how a woman and a man can have the same job, but a woman will have less pay, less salary. I learned about the oppression in different countries, you know, things like female genital mutilation. I learned things that broke my heart. And it just stirred a fire inside of me. And what I've learned as a result was in order to respond to such injustices, you should become a feminist. And so I thought to myself, all right, I'm going to be a feminist. And I would go into the cafeteria because it was right before lunch, this class. So I come to the cafeteria all pumped up, you know, and I'd sit down and I look at all the guys at my table <laughs> and I would like recite statistics that I learned in class. And did you know that? And you men, and you know, it's just like, it was crazy. I was this little angry senior girl. And that interest actually continued on when I was in university. When I was a freshman in college, I continued to take a lot of um, her story sort of classes and continue to educate myself on the injustices that women face. Uh, you can imagine that when I became a Christian, I became a little bit, I mean, when I got brought back to the Lord. I was a Christian already, but I was in a backslidden state during that season of my life. But uh, when I became uh, restored in God, when God began to revive my heart, I, I had a little bit of a conflict going on. And I thought, man, if I'm back in relationship with the Lord and I'm, I'm continuing on in my faith, does it mean does it mean I just throw away everything that I learned? Does it mean I just go back to status quo? Does it mean that I'm okay with the things that I've learned in these classes? And it was a little bit confusing initially. You know, I was so hardcore that I was actually dating a guy in high school at the time. And I broke up with him because of his view with women 
of women in the household, of women in ministry. And so, you know, his idea was women should be in the house. They should be cleaning. They should be cooking dinner. Um, his idea of a wife was very traditional. And when I heard that, I was like, oh, that's great. It's over, you know? <laughs> and I, for real, I broke up with him. And so when I became coming back to the Lord, I had this tension in my heart where I understood that the response and the reaction, should I say, of the feminist movement, I knew deep down wasn't right. I knew deep down as I went back to the Lord, something was off about it. However, I could not deny that there was, there was a seriousness. There was a realness about the oppression that women face on an everyday level. I couldn't deny that. But I knew that the reaction, the response that the world provided wasn't the right one either. And so coming here to this church, I came as a newcomer. I, I didn't come here as a pastor. I came here broken, sitting in the back, the first one to leave after service ended. And slowly but surely, God ministered to my heart powerfully through people, through his word, through the worship. And I found myself being restored, kind of like Adriana, revived and feeling alive again. But not only did I see that, but in this church community, I saw that women were honored. And it was the first time I really saw that. I saw that women were leading prayer. And eventually, I was able to see women preaching and preaching powerfully. In fact, to have a husband that not only encourages me, but continues to throw me out and to continue to, you know, push me to go higher and farther is such a blessing. See, this house is where I learned the proper response to the concerns, to the weightiness of oppression that women face. It's love, not hate. It's honor, not contempt. I was hating men, treating them with contempt, where the whole time the answer was in love and the answer was in honor. And so it's truly my privilege, and it's an answer prayer that I'm here kicking this off, this amazing Women's uh, Ministry Month. I will be preaching today here at Hillside. Pastor Myungwa is going to preach a powerful word at Itaewon. And after her, Pastor Mina is going to preach a powerful word at Seaside. And it's just going to continue. It's going to be a powerful month. Are you guys excited? God has a powerful plan for women. Amen? Women, God has a powerful plan for you. Amen? Amen? Amen. Uh, today, I want to preach on the subject of encouragement. And I want to talk to you guys about the power of encouragement. And this is twofold. I want to talk about the power of being encouraged and the power of encouraging one another. The power of being encouraged and the power to encourage one another. The thing about encouragement is it's really good to hear, but often it's hard to believe. Oh, that sounds nice, but I don't know if I can believe what you just said. In fact, scripture has continual reference to being encouraged. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are also doing. Encouragement, it builds people. In fact, we're called as a people of God to build a church. But to build a church really means to build people because the church is made up of living stones. You and I are the church. These four walls is not actually the church. It may be where we congregate. It may be where we gather. But even if this wasn't here, when we gather together as a community, as a covenant community, we've just entered church. And to build up the church is to build up God's people. So to learn to be encouraged and to encourage is so important. In Colossians, it says that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ. You know, I have incredible spiritual parents, Pastor Benjamin, Pastor Sonny. Many of you guys met them at the church rod retreat. They're incredible people. And I remember that when I first came into covenant relationship with Pastor Benjamin and Pastor Sonny, and what we mean by covenant relationship, the reason why we don't refer to them really as disciple or disciple or mentor is because this relationship that we've established with them is lifelong. 
It's not a season-based, it's not a conference-based relationship. It's not a, you know, episodic relationship where only in this setting, only in this episode do we relate to one another, but it's a lifelong, just like your natural parents. And so when I first came into covenant relationship with them, one of the most hardest things I found myself submitting to was encouragement. It was so hard. Can you believe it? I was waiting and being expectant to get rebuked constantly. Aaron, you do this bad. Aaron, you can't preach. Aaron, you got to learn how to pray better. Aaron, this and that, this and that. I was waiting. In fact, I was like excited, you know, to get rebuked or to get slammed. Or I don't know if that's, you know, what's masochistic, but whatever it was, I was getting ready to be torn down. And yet the hardest thing I found out about spiritual authority in your life is submitting to being built up. When I learned that their only desire for me was to grow, to be built up, and even by their words, they would continue to encourage me, I realized, man, this is, this is not as easy as I thought. I remember the first time that I preached at Pastor Benjamin's church. Can you imagine me? I'm a small Korean girl, okay? I consider myself still young, okay? I'm still in my 20s. And I'm preaching at this church, my spiritual authorities church. This is a multicultural age difference was like they had from grandma and grandpas to little babies. Okay. This is the church where Pastor Benjamin preaches every single Sunday. And Pastor Sonny, I was thinking to myself, what more could I possibly give to them? And I was afraid out of my mind And I remember I was just praying before me having to preach and I was sweating. Like I felt like I was Jesus about to get crucified, you know, like sweat of blood dripping down my face. And I was so nervous about how they were going to receive me. I was so afraid. And I got up there and by the grace of God, I preached the message. And I remember after the message was over, Pastor Benjamin looked at me and he said, okay, Christian, you ride with my wife, Aaron, you ride with me. And I was like, oh, snap. So nervous. And my heart was like, okay. And I sat in shotgun. And Pastor Benjamin was driving. We were going back to their home where we were staying. And he goes like, you know, looking at me nodding. And I was like, oh, gosh, here it comes. Here it comes. Here it comes. I'm preparing myself to hear the worst. And he looks at me and he says, you did a good job tonight. And I was like, Okay. That's the, that's the opening liner. You know what I mean? Here comes the, but, and he says, but, uh, okay, now I know. But if I were to say one thing to you, if I were to say one thing to you, it would be this. And he looked at me while he was driving. Okay. It would be this. You still don't know who you are. And I just, my heart dropped. It was as if he knew my every thought and my just, and I was sitting there and I was about to cry. I was like, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. I, I still don't know who I am. (laughs) And he goes, no, 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 no. Listen to me. Because if you knew who you were, then you wouldn't have been nervous at all to preach. There wouldn't have been an ounce of fear or anxiety because you are a powerful preacher. And I sat there stunned. Did you know it was easier for me to believe that you don't know who you are part than the part where he said, because you are a powerful preacher. That word that he spoke over me. Yeah, it sounded good at the moment, but it was very difficult for me to submit to. In fact, it was words that haunted me every time I would preach and I would get nervous when I would go on missions trips and go to third world countries and they've never seen a woman preacher before. They're expecting my husband and they found out that he's in the Philippines and I'm the one that's going to be preaching and they're totally discouraged, totally not having it. Can you imagine me picking up the mic and getting ready to preach? I'm hearing you're a powerful preacher. And in that moment, I had to just wrap my heart around that encouragement. I had to be encouraged. I had to allow myself to be encouraged. See, God doesn't just want us to be encouraged. He wants us to stay encouraged, to remain in encouragement. Often we have a lot of encouraging moments, don't we? 
And when we talk to our friends, when we connect with our small group leaders, when we hear a good message, we feel pumped up. We feel alive. We feel strong. But the moment you and I are facing trials, that's the test. Will you continue to be encouraged? There's power. And I found myself in this relationship struggling, not over the the bad things or not over the things where they needed to kind of correct me, which they did and which was a blessing. But I found myself struggling more with the words of encouragement that they spoke over me, staying there, remaining there. No, Aaron, you are strong. I don't feel strong. No, Aaron, you are healthy. I'm sick. No, Aaron, you are a powerful minister of God, but I don't have a seminary degree. I don't have a background in ministry. I never went to college ministry. How can I lead a college ministry? I'm totally inadequate. No, God has made you fully adequate for this position. It was the test of remaining an encouragement that was really a test of faith for me. And so today I want us to look at Hebrews and we're going we're gonna to look into one of the most powerful encouragements in scripture. And I believe in this encouragement that the author of Hebrews gives to the church, we can find some key elements of how to be encouraged, how to stay encouraged, and how to encourage one another. So I want you to open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to be looking at verses 19 to 25. All right, let's, uh, why don't we just read this passage together? I want all of you guys to read these words aloud. And if you have your Bibles, read it from your Bibles. Okay. So here we go. Let's start together. Verses 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Amen. Amen. Therefore, brothers, since we have a confidence to enter the holy place, you got to understand that this was a newfound confidence. See, the early church, what they knew, especially those who came from a Judaic background, is you can't be confident entering the holy of holies. That place was reserved for the high priest, one man that represented all of Israel. He would come in dressed in priestly garments, and it would be weeks of preparing to enter in to that holy of holies. It was so fearful for them that they would have a bunch of bells tied to their leg that when a priest would enter in, you would hear ring. I can't even do the ring sound. Jingling. No, that's not going to work either. Yeah, no. Okay. You would hear the noise of the bells as they step into the Holy of Holies and they would perform the ceremony of, you know, laying out all the different items and all the things that God has required for the Jews to do as an act of atonement for the whole body. And if for any reason, that sound of ringling stopped for a period of time, they knew that the priest probably died because it was impossible to go into that very presence, the glory of God with any ounce of sin because sin in that presence would die. And so when they would hear nothing, all of a sudden, the rest of the priests who were holding onto the rope would be like, oh, snap. And they would have to pull out the dead high priest. They themselves couldn't go in because they were not authorized to do so. So it had to be tied to a rope. Can you imagine? This was a holy place. 
It was a place the fear of God was upon God's people when it came to the Holy of Holies. And here, a paradigm has been shifted where the Old Testament, we learn about the holiness of God. But here in the New Testament, as Jesus Christ has come, we learn about the power of God as our Father. This newfound intimate relationship that was not available before was made now available through Christ, his Son. And so now here in Hebrews, the author is saying, now we can go into this Holy of Holies, not just the high priest, but you can go into the Holy of Holies. We can go into the Holy of Holies with what? Full confidence by the blood of Jesus. See, the only reason a high priest could enter the Holy of Holies was he had to do a bunch of animal sacrifices. Blood had to be shed. And it wasn't just one animal. It was a series of different animals and a series of different throws, sprinkling the blood on different things and eating this and, and throwing out that and what, just a, a intricate ceremony that had to be done. But here, simply by the blood of Jesus Christ, you and I, without bells on our legs, without people holding onto a rope, can confidently enter the most holy of holies. This is a truth that the author Hebrews wanted to establish in the church because it was crucial. And following this truth were three encouragements that I feel like we have to pay attention to. The first one is verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. See, the difference between an encouragement and an affirmation is an affirmation will establish where you are, who you are, but encouragement will tell you to come higher. An encouragement causes you to move. An encouragement causes you to engage. It causes a reaction. It's an invitation. Affirmation is good job. That was great. That's not encouragement. Encouragement is you can do this. Get out of that pit. You don't need to be discouraged. Be strengthened. It's causing you to move from one place to another. And here the first encouragement is, let us draw near to who? Let us draw near to God. Remember, we're talking about the Holy of Holies here. Let us draw near to God with a true heart in full assurance of faith. This is without doubt. This is without condemnation. This is without fear. Understanding that our hearts have been made clean and our bodies washed with pure water. That word washed in Greek is something that I wrote down somewhere that I cannot find. Um, That word washed in Greek, I forget what the Greek word is, but what's interesting is it's a washing that only happens to dead bodies. It's not a washing that you, it's not like a, I'm bathing, I'm taking a shower. It's a washing that a, a dead body would have to go through. So you, when they say washed with pure water, they're talking about, it's almost like a burial ceremony because we have now died with Christ so that we may live with him. And here is this indicativeness of death. Let us draw near to God. Remember, priests can't stand in the presence of God without sin. Otherwise they would die, right? And here we come into the presence of God, indeed, dead to our bodies, dead to our sin, dead to our flesh. Let us draw near. That's the first encouragement. Let us draw near to God. The second encouragement is let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. You know, when we're talking about hold fast, we're talking about a strong grip. You're talking about an unshakable handle on something, something that can't be torn out, something that can't be grabbed out of your hands. It is not going anywhere. Your fists are clenched. You are holding fast to what? The confession of your hope. What is hope? All of chapter 10 in Hebrews is talking about Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of what he's done and who we are because of it. But hope isn't just who Jesus is. Hope is also expectation. It's about expecting something to happen. You can't hope unless you expect. 
I hear people all the time. Well, what do you expect from the retreat? Oh, nothing. You know what that is? That's a hopeless heart. Hope is expectation. If you live life without expectation, you're not living in hope. There's something wrong with that picture. You're already in deception if there's hopelessness. Hope is expectation, anticipation. You're getting ready. You know something's about to happen. What hope? What anticipation is that? We're talking about a Jesus who went from death to life. We're talking about a hope of a resurrection power. Resurrection in the areas of your life where you've been feeling utterly hopeless. I don't know about you, but there's some things in my life where I feel strong. I have a lot of hope. And there are other parts of my life where I just realize, man, I I have no expectation in that area. When it comes to my college staff, man, I have hope that they're going to break through. But when it comes to maybe my cousin, man, I don't know about that. I'm not sure if they're going to be able to experience what we've experienced. The thing about the word of God is it's not meant for us to read. The word of God is designed to read us. When you read a passage like this, you got to ask yourself, God, what am I not holding fast to? Where's the hopelessness in my heart? Let your word search me. Let your word look through me. Find me. And so here we're talking about an expectation without wavering. Why? Because our expectation is based on he who is promised to be faithful. You know, weak faith or strong faith, if the object of faith is always strong, it doesn't matter. The object of our faith is not our circumstances. The object of our faith is not the people around us. The object of which we base our faith on is God Almighty himself. And therefore, no matter what you're going through, you should always be holding fast. You should be always holding fast the very promises and the expectation that things can change. Here's what the opposite would look like in this situation. If God is calling us through the author of Hebrews to hold fast to the confession of our hope. Well, then you can imagine that the enemy is wanting us to just give up and be futile. When there's a futility in our hearts, we give up. There's no point. What's the point of going to church? What's the point of being a leader? What's the point of praying? There's no point. Nothing is changing. Nothing is happening. When your expectation has gone from, I can expect God to do this to God. You can't do this or you won't do this or you're not doing this. Your hope has dissipated and you've shifted out of that place of holding fast to hope and you've wandered into the place of hopelessness. No expectation. Everything cannot be changed. You can't change this part of my life. Maybe you can change her. And maybe you can change him and sure you can change Adriana, but you can't change me. And you can't change this part of my life. The moment we step into that, we've stepped into a form of discouragement. The third type of encouragement that God wants to solidify, solidify us in is let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know that word stir up? It's actually, it means to provoke. Almost to the point, there's example of that same Greek word provoke, to provoke to anger. But this is a provoking, almost to anger, but towards love. To provoke someone else to love. I don't know about you, but there's some people that I've met that when I see them and I see the love that's pouring out of them, it provokes me. I look at them and it's not a provoking of anger, but I just look at them and I'm like, man, I want to be like that, man. No, I got to change that. I want to be just like that. When you see someone that loves selflessly, when you see someone that serves with joy on their heart, when you look at them, you're like, man, that it just, there's a provoking, there's a stirring up. There's something that happens in your heart that begins to tug at you that says, this is for you. This is who you're supposed to be. What this encouragement is saying that you and I need to be those kind of people. A people that provokes other people to love more. That's on another level. It's not just, 
oh yeah, let's sing Kumbaya together in a circle and tell each other how great we are. It's a lifestyle. It's how you live. It's how you respond, not react. It's how you respond to circumstances or situations. It's a provoking. Encouraging one another. And this is where I want to spend some time in. Encouragement, that word all throughout the New Testament is defined in the Greek as parakaleo. Parakaleo. Oh, as people are repeating it. Parakaleo. Why don't you guys try that? Parakaleo. And that word in the Greek, it's defined as to call to one side, to address, to console, to encourage, to strengthen by consolation, to comfort, to exhort, to instruct, to teach. But the first, I mean, all of that I knew, encouragement, yeah, to exhort, to encourage, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But the first line that was brought up when I looked at this definition is what stood out to me, to call to one side. How does encouragement mean to call to one side? Here's the thing about encouragement that I want you guys to get. It's, it's intimacy. Encouragement can only be found through intimacy. It can only be given through intimacy. When encouragement is being referred to in scripture, I'm not talking about encouragement according to Webster Dictionary. I'm talking about encouragement in scripture. It's talking about an intimate relationship where you can call on one person and you can say, come, come right here beside me. Let us be near. The breakdown of para kaleo is para to be near. Kaleo is to call. To call you near, that's encouragement. Come near. Doesn't that sound like something? Let us draw near to God. The first way you and I are called to be encouraged is to be near to God. If you find yourself falling away from the Lord, you are walking out of encouragement and you're walking into discouragement. We're called to be near to him. Not only to be near to him, but to perceive that he's near. To understand that he's near. It's three easy encouragements. Draw near to God. Hold fast to hope. Consider others. Consider others. That means think about somebody other than yourself. That means even though you are tremendously blessed at the retreat, even though you're filled with the spirit of God, if you're in isolation to other people, you're already out of God's love. Consider one another. That's to be encouraged. If that's encouragement, then let's talk about discouragement. What's discouragement? Discouragement is denying that God is near, letting go of hope, and forgetting others. Denying that God is near, letting go of hope, and forgetting others. That's discouragement. The moment you begin to deny, no, God's not with me in this situation, or God, you're too far from me in this situation, you've just entered into discouragement. If encouragement is to draw near to God, then discouragement is to deny his existence. So when we're talking about discouragement, we're talking about a powerful force here. We're talking about a devil who's constantly trying to get you to be discouraged. Do you guys understand that? Every day we have moments where maybe you are pockets of encouragement, but continuously throughout your day, the devil's constantly trying to steal that away from you. How can I destroy this man of God's encouragement? What kind of circumstances, what kind of situations need to be set up so they can be discouraged? But to allow yourself to be discouraged and to remain in discouragement, it's denying who God is. This is the thing that I want to share with you guys. We often feel discouraged, but I want you to feel a deep-seated hatred towards it. I think for us, we think it's part of the program. Oh, yeah, discouragement, of course, it's part of it. It's part of the Christian walk to be discouraged. No, discouragement is demonic in nature. Its very root is in Satan. To be discouraged is to deny who God is. It's to deny that he's close to you. It's to deny that you can have a hope that's unwavering because he's faithful. It's to deny that we have a responsibility to consider one another. To be discouraged is in utmost such a powerful stronghold that so many of us are clinging on to. And today 
it's going to be broken off. No more. No more are we going to schedule in. Yeah, discouragement. That's okay. That's part of the program. We can't make room for discouragement. If you allow discouragement in your life, you are denying the power of God. Here's the reason why the devil hates for you to be encouraged. It's because when you're encouraged, you're fearless. When you're fearless, you're unstoppable. When you're encouraged, you are in the place of intimacy. You've drawn near to God and you've drawn near to others. And there's utmost safety in those intimate relationships. And now you're not afraid of anything. Why? Because God is near. That's why David in the face of Goliath had no fear. Why? Because he knew the Lord was at hand. That's why even in his Psalms, the Lord is at hand. We just recite that song not too long ago in our call to worship. The Lord is at hand. That's such a powerful statement. Why? Because that means you and I have nothing to be afraid of. The devil wants you to be scared. Understand that. Because if he can cause you to be fearful, oh, this isn't going to last long. Joy, it's going to run out in two weeks. This high from the retreat, it's only going to last a month. The breakthrough that I got, it's only going to last this long. The testimony, yeah, no, it's for her, but it's not for me. This disease is stronger than God. When he begins to get you to meditate on being afraid, the devil has disarmed you and made you paralyzed. What did I say earlier? Encouragement causes you to move. But discouragement causes you to be immobile. The devil's so afraid of you. He's so afraid of you. He's so afraid of you. That his only way, his only response and reaction to you and I is to try to get us to be tied up in discouragement. Come on, turn to your neighbor and said. Make no room for discouragement. Come on, tell them, be encouraged. (laughs) You got to say that encouragingly. Okay, go ahead. Be encouraged. If encouragement is drawing near to God, if it's holding fast to hope, if it's considering others, then what discouragement is designed to do is to bring you into a place of isolation. When you become discouraged, you tell yourself, God's not near me. You take a step back. I have no hope. You take a step back. I begin to forget about what others have they loved me? I forget about others in the church. I forget about others. I don't consider them. I don't think about them. I'm so self-absorbed when I become discouraged. You have now isolated yourself. You have now cut yourself from any form of relationship or intimacy. And the moment you isolate yourself, you have become prime target for the devil's lies. I don't know if you guys know anything about hunting. Not that I know a lot about hunting. But one thing that I think I saw on Discovery Channel about hunting is you look for the animal that has gone a little bit out of the herd. You know what I'm saying? Because if the animals are rolling deep and they're rolling together, there's always going to be that one little, I was going to say bunny, but I don't think they do that. One little deer, you know, what, what animals herd together? Antelope or buffalo that has trailed along and by itself a little in isolation Who's the hunter going to go for? Who's the lion going to go for? They're not going to go for the group. They're going to go for the little lone one over there. Isolation is the devil's tactic to keep you in a place of utter deception, bondage, and in chains. How you break out of isolation, isolation is encouragement. This is why encouragement is so important. And this is why discouragement is so demonic. I want us as a body, as a house, to cast off all discouragement. The moment we allow ourselves, oh, I'm just discouraged. Yeah, I know that I shouldn't be thinking that, but. Yeah, I know that God loves me, but. Yeah, I know that the word of God says I can do all things, but. The moment you begin to deny God's word, 
you begin to deny his power. You begin to deny the access that he wants to give to you to break free out of whatever situation you're facing, whatever trial that you're facing. The key is encouragement. So we're called to be encouraged, but we're also called to encourage one another. This is our mandate. It's our mission. The author of Hebrews was inspired by God to write these three encouragements for us to live by. Not only are we to draw near to God, but we are to draw near to one another. And this is why so many of the devil's tactics is to bring division, jealousy, hatred, comparison, All of these different forms, these different symptoms is designed to separate me and you. Why? Because of isolation. And we have to keep our guards up. We have to keep our minds sharp. We have to keep our spirit strong whenever we face any of those kind of temptations. Why? Because we can't allow ourselves to be isolated. We're called to be one mind. We're called to be of one spirit. We're called to be of one body. Together, one we're unstoppable. Together as one, encouraged, we're fearless. Together as one, nothing, nothing can stand against God's will and purposes for your life. But it doesn't happen as one small person over there on the side. John Wellesley says it like this. There's nothing more unchristian than a solitary Christian. There's nothing more unchristian than a solitary Christian. I know people that are so spirit filled, but it's just them and the Lord unchristian. I know some people that are, oh yeah, but you know, the church, I don't believe in the church because the church is so filled with corruption and we can't trust the church and people abuse authority in the church and yada, 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 yada. I'm just going to do have church by myself, me and God. Yeah. Wrong. Not Christian. Christian is about covenant community. It's about you and I, it's about intimacy. The key to stay in that place is to encourage one another. It's not only your mandate to be encouraged and to stay in that place. It's to be a force of encouragement to people around you. How do you do that? You call them to go faster. You call their name. Para Kaleo. You draw near to them. You come close to them. If they're struggling, draw near to them to comfort them. If they've fallen down on a trap somewhere, then draw near to them and then call them to come up higher. You know, when I first met Pastor Sunny, I didn't know that she was part of the package. Meaning when Pastor Benjamin and Pastor Christian decided that they were going to be a spiritual, you know, father and spiritual son, I didn't know that I was included in that. I actually was jealous of my own husband and I decided, man, I better find a spiritual mentor really soon because he's got Pastor Benjamin and I have nobody. And so I remember thinking to myself, man, I wonder if he is going to be mine. Maybe I should ask him too. And he came to Korea to do one of our conferences and we were eating carby. And I looked at him and I go, will you be my spiritual father too? And he was like, uh, yeah, it's, of course, it's already been like that. And I go, oh, really? And he goes, yeah. And Pastor Sonny is also your spiritual mother. And I was like, oh, snap, I got Pastor Sonny. I had no idea that she, it was all inclusive, Here I am thinking that I got to engage in different parts, but it was all inclusive. It was awesome. And I remember the first time I met, I met Pastor Benjamin before I met Pastor Sonny. Pastor Sonny's kind of gangster. And she was a little bit intimidating at first. And she's very anointed. She's very powerful. And so when I, when I saw her, I was like, oh, you know, hi. I just was not yet comfortable. And I remember when I stayed at their place, she looked at me and she goes, we're going to work out. And I was like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, little did she know I didn't exercise for like years. And she goes, get your sneakers. We're going to go running. I was like, yeah, okay. Okay. And so I put on my sneakers and we go to the gym and we get on the elliptical machine and we're on the elliptical. She goes, tell me your testimony. I was like, okay, yes, ma'am. Oh, so God, and I'm on this elliptical. (sighs) I'm free. And as we're talking, I'm like sweating profusely and I'm thinking, this is so hard. And I look at her and it almost looks like she's so easy, but I haven't exercised in so long. And about 10 minutes in, I realized that I'm doing the elliptical backwards. (laughs) I was going backwards in the, like, this is how much I didn't exercise. And I was like, why is this so hard? That's like another message right there. Going backwards. You know what I mean? 
We're designed to move forwards, right, folks? Anyway, so here I am. And finally, I realized, oh, my gosh, I'm going backwards. I felt really dumb. And I tried to casually stop my flow and go forwards. <laughs> and so I go forward on the elliptical, and things are a lot easier. But it's still difficult for me. I'm not normally an athletic person. I mean, I ran track, but it was seriously by God's grace because I hate running. And I hate everything about running. And here I am on the elliptical sharing my testimony with Pastor Sonny. And about maybe 45 minutes in or 30 minutes later, she, you know, she's, let's cool down. So we take a couple more minutes. We cool down. And I look down and I realize we did about 6K. And I get off the elliptical and I'm kind of like <laughs> falling. I'm like, oh, I'm good. I'm good. Stretching, you know, but... But I was amazed because I didn't even know I was capable of going that far. See, encouraging someone is to come alongside them, is to get on the elliptical next to them. Well, I don't know if y'all need to do the elliptical, but like in the, in the illustration of running, to come along some, somebody, to run beside them, and to call forth, to bring them to go to a further distance than they knew they were even capable of doing. If you had told, if she had told me we're going to do 6K, I would have said no. We're going to do 6K. You can do 6K. I would have easily explained, done a diagram, PowerPoint presentation, why that's not possible for me and what my lifestyle was, you know, and what I ate th that night or, you know, the day before and how, you know, calculated scientifically that wasn't going to happen. But she didn't even, t she just ran beside me. Causing me to draw near to God. We were just sharing our stories of what God has done. And I looked down and man, 6K, I can't believe it. You and I are called to run beside each other. We're called to call one another to be near. And to be near to one another. There is a place of intimacy that God is calling us to. And in that place and only in that place is true encouragement. Para kaleo. In that place of drawing near to God is true intimacy with God, true encouragement, para kaleo. God's calling us to be encouraged, amen? You guys can do more than run 6K. I mean, Sam Kiel can probably do that tied up, you know? <laughs> but we can do more than 6K. What I'm trying to encourage you guys in is you guys are designed to live a victorious life. You're destined to impact your workplace. You're destined to release the spirit of God in your families. You're destined to bring change in injustices. Sometimes when we hear those things, it looks like an impossibility. But when we run alongside each other, when we come near, when we connect with God, holding fast the hope that we have in him and drawing near to one another, we can do anything. We become unstoppable fearless, victorious people of God. Amen? Amen. Just bow your heads with me. We're going to take some time and, you know, as I was preparing for this message, can I tell you it was waves after waves of discouragement? Would you believe? I'm preaching on encouragement, so obviously... And I just kept hearing things like, oh, this is not good enough. You've been out of the game, you know. You still don't have a seminary degree yet. No. <laughs> you like that, right? Trick y'all. Anyway, you, um, you're a woman. Let's talk about Women's Ministry Month. Not everybody's going to take you seriously. Just the discouragement started to, you know, come in waves. And I thought to myself, dang, that's the devil. That's so demonic. But what it did for a moment was it immobilized me. For a, for a moment, I, I couldn't prepare. And I realized that what I was feeling was what so many of us feel on a day-to-day -day basis. The discouragement that binds us rather than the encouragement that frees us. 
So I want you to close your eyes with me. And I want us to together change our mind. That's what it means to repent. It's not just saying sorry. It's changing your mind. Renewing your mind. And I feel like we need to renew our mind about discouragement. Because we made too many allowances for it. We've made too many excuses to allow ourselves to feel discouragement. To stay in discouragement. To be hindered and frustrated by discouragement. And I feel like today, God is getting ready to set those that have been struggling with discouragement completely free. And we're not talking about a temporary freedom. I'm talking about a lifelong, eternal freedom. So let's take some time and I want you guys to pray. Let the word search your heart. Don't just understand, oh, this is the Greek meaning of that or, oh, wow, this means this. No, hear the word and let it search your heart. Let it be a light that examines what you've been thinking. Let it be a light that examines how you've been feeling recently. What you've been struggling with. Let it shine on those areas where you've been feeling hopeless. Or where you've been letting go of hope. tickles our ears God let it be a word that searches us from deep within come on be real with yourself be vulnerable let God draw near draw near to him allowance for discouragement you've been making allowance whether it's one area of your heart maybe it's just one small area maybe everything else is okay but you know that there's one part of your life where you've been allowing discouragement to reign and you desire to be set free today I want you to stand to your feet and we're going to pray for you